0: The Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel, bringing you the best tactical and statistical analysis
1: of Liverpool FC. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Analyzing Anfield, your tactics and analytics podcast courtesy of the Blood Red channel. I'm Josh Williams and I'm joined as always by Mo Stewart. Mo, we got back, we got off to a win, mate. Uh, first Anfield win of the season.
0: Yeah, uh, uh, one of those that will look a lot more comfortable in the books at the end of the season than it was while it was happening. But yes, first game at home, three points. Feel good factor, a little bit coming out of the ground. So yeah, uh, all looking positive. But of course, there are some ups and downs, which I'm sure we're going to dissect.
1: Yeah, it was an interesting game. Lots going on, to be honest, in the game. Penalty miss, red card. Um, you know, it was it was a chaotic game, to be fair. Um What did you think overall of our performance? And, um, I mean, with 11 men, we'll we'll go first.
0: (laughs) It's tough because you did see some of the hallmarks of what went wrong last season, um, particularly in the slow start. But then you also saw some of the good hallmarks, as in the way that once we were able to beat the press once, get a goal... And then we were able to get another one quickly and settle into playing our football. And we were able to play our thoughts some really good stuff at times. So, I mean, you obviously wouldn't expect everything to be magically changed straight away because it's only the second game of the season. But yeah, it's very much like you can see the working of where we need to improve in order to get to become a regular, consistent side. But you do think that they are capable based on what you have seen so far.
1: Yeah, I thought it was a, a really strange start to the game. I think Alisson seemed to start the game like, like he had concussion or something, mate. Um, just seemed to <laughs> make strange decisions for me often. I think that that kind of old cliche where the, the goalkeeper impacts the almost the nervousness of the rest of the team, I think seemed to play out a little bit at the start of that game. Um, I think gradually we we seem to get a bit more of a hmm. foothold, but without ever really... I still don't feel like, since I've been watching us this, this season so far, including pre-season, I still don't feel like we've got the control that I want us to have. Um, oh. But I think we're working towards that, and I think a lot of that is to, is, is because of the, the player profiles in the squad and, and how we've only just signed a defensive midfield type and um, things like that. We're very overloaded, very attack-minded at the minute, but... I think overall that the control is, is something that I would like to to establish a little bit further, to be honest.
0: Yeah, I 100% agree. And there are obviously the large mitigating uh, circumstances in as much as I don't think we've still seen yet the team that if, you, if you're if you going to tell me Liverpool are going to go on a run of maybe seven or eight wins in a row with the squad like we did last season, I don't think we've seen the starting eleven yet that does that because obviously, neither Endo nor will have started, and I believe that you'd need someone, like you say, offering that kind of control in order to do that. And, yes, there were very much teething problems. The start, the start was really annoying for me because yeah. I think Liverpool should have known exactly what kind of start Bournemouth would have in this game. They know that obviously after what happened last year, they want to come out and put on a show, but also, they know that Liverpool have been prone to give away silly mistakes early on if you don't match... They don't always match your intensity if they're not expecting it. And that's exactly what happened. I mean, within the first minute like that disallowed goal, that had us turned around, obviously there's lots of talk about the fact that there's a mistake and a miscommunication, but the space, the space that should not have been offered to a team within the first minute of a football game. <laughs> and that Space is still partly down to, I think, the, the the positioning on the pitch and us not really kind of getting to grips with what we're supposed to be doing and when we're supposed to be doing it.
1: Well, even the first goal that we conceded, the, the actual legitimate goal, I, I thought the pass that Van Dijk made to Trent was... Well, why? You know, why did he make that pass? There's no need for it, really, and maybe trying to be a little bit too clever. And then on top of that pass, Trent's body orientation at the time was just completely wrong. was not ready to receive that pass in the right way. Mm. And, um, you know, we established, we tried to establish last week on the show about Bournemouth and being a bit more of a proactive team this year and a bit more inclined to press and things like that. So you you can expect that. You knew you were going to get that in the first couple of minutes. So, yeah, I agree. It was a a really weird start. And it was almost like the players seemed a little bit, Almost scared of last season and is this going to be any difference? And when it's when it didn't start particularly great, it looked like everyone kind of panicked a little bit almost until we got a bit more of a foothold in the game. Um, but I think one player who didn't seem to suffer from any scarring from last season, and there's a reason for that because you weren't here, was Dominic Sobersley. Uh we did throw him up yes. in pre-season. We we definitely praised the transfer. Uh, pass ourselves on the back on that one because so far two games in mate he he looks really really good
0: he looks fantastic he looks like he's ready to take this team and this league by the scruff of his neck and show you exactly how good he is and it's been a while I think since we've had a player who's come in with that kind of attitude obviously we've had the likes of uh, even Nunes even Luis Diaz have come in with kind of like an attitude as a bit of a fighter. But this guy's not necessarily about fighting. He's just about imposing his will on the game. He reminds me a little bit in that respect of uh, Michael Ballack for slightly older football fans, the way he used to just stride about the pitch and just basically turn the game in his favour. And his ability to be able to be everywhere but still be so great technically at moving at high speed I think he's going to be a real asset to this team. And as we get used to him, he's going to be more effective for us. And as other teams get used to him, he's going to be more scary for them. So I can only see it going one way. Yeah, I think what I think what I've been most impressed by so far is his
1: just sheer physicality. Like I I, I knew he was a, a big lad and I knew he was a product of the Red Bull Academy. Um, Red Bull Network in terms of like Salzburg and Leipzig and that so I did expect that from him to an extent but I, d- I didn't expect him to be as much of an engine as he is Like he, he is relentless mate and he, I don't think I think I'm right in saying I don't think he's been substituted yet or if he has there's been no need to substitute him because his tank <laughs> at no point has been empty um, but you, you mentioned Balak there what, what, what for me he's kind of he's looked like a a really technical um creative version of jordan henderson for me in a, in a, in a weird way like he's offered all the industrious perks of henderson mm-hmm. all that running power and the and and kind of like a bit of a presence in the middle of the park but with all the all the technique to yeah. also deliver in the final third and to invent out of nothing to get himself out of tricky situations um to dribble and, and things like that so he, he looks like a proper more of an all-rounder than I thought he was to be honest I, I knew he was yeah I knew he had a, quite a complete skill set but I think already to to I mean he, he played half an hour or so as part of a midfield too for example and looked absolutely fine you know he yeah. he, he looks like a proper proper all-rounder mate and another player to throw in there is probably Steven Gerrard to be honest because Gerrard throughout his career played plenty of times yeah. six plenty of times as uh, a Eight, plenty of time as a uh, ten, um, really athletic and energetic, and put his power on the game, but could also showcase technique and, and real moments of quality and brilliance. And so, it looks like, I mean, maybe I'm getting carried away. It's only been two games, but I think usually with these top players, <laughs> you you can see it pretty quickly, can't you?
0: Yeah, and I mean, I kind of mentioned Balak instead of Gerard because I was trying to give him a little bit of grace to move into it, but I mean, he's taking the number eight shirt, so he knows exactly what he's doing. And the the, the Henderson um, comparison is interesting, because I remember us last season talking about those advanced areas that Henderson was still getting into, and teams weren't really having to do anything to play against him. They were just basically letting him have the ball in those areas. Now you've got Zobazai, who was doing the, the kind of a wide overlapping runs, but also on the edge of the um, far right edge of the penalty area, looking to either whip a ball in or strike. He looks a lot more dangerous. And I mean, the third goal came from one of those positions. In fact, twice it came. Not only the shot that produced Jota's goal, but his skill on the right-hand side interlinking linking with Trent, which allowed Trent to put the ball in the th- in the first phase before that. So, all of that is evidence of what he can, how he can upgrade this team immediately from what we were seeing last season. The funny thing about his positioning, though, is that because he is so good at those so such a range of skills that are almost universal, like you say, the physicality, the tackling, the technical ability you will be tempted to kind of put him in wherever it fits. So I was just reading something that his national manager is thinking about moving him into the number six role, which is kind of interesting when you consider the, uh, the the conversation around that here in Liverpool. I'm sure Jankop was very amused when he heard that. But from the point of view of the Hungarian manager, if you've got other resources in other areas and you've got this technical wonder, then I'm probably not surprised that he's considering moving him there. Um, I wouldn't do it for us, but the fact that he can do it there shows you that, like you say, this guy's got an unbelievable range.
1: Yeah, I'm, I must admit, I'm, I'm gl- I saw them comments this morning, and I'm, I'm glad he's not in charge of Liverpool. <laughs> <laughs> that's all I will say. And um, I think he's. he's got a, a varied skill set, obviously. I think you're massively limiting them if you put him as a six. I think that's insane, personally. Um, but I think. He, he feel another player comparison I'll throw in there already. Again, I'm probably getting carried away. It's very early for this. But a, a similar player for me already is De Bruyne. I think De Bruyne is another one who has been really industrious over the past few years, more industrious than people think in terms of his running power and stuff like that and the speed. Um, But in addition mm-hmm. to that, he's, he's capable of being like really... Um almost like serene when he when he strikes the ball, like really, really delicate and elegant when he's carrying the ball and things like that. And, and De Bruyne as well has, for like his national team in Manchester City at different times, played as part of like a midfield two at times. He's played as an eight. he's played as yep. a ten. He's played on the flanks if needed at times, De Bruyne. So Soboslai looks like he can do all that as well. So it feels like we've been kind of craving this kind of player for a few years now. Um, that kind of creative yeah. advanced number eight slash number 10 type like a Bruno Fernandes um, at the Bruyne you know our own version of that basically maybe like an Ericsson as yeah. well an Ericsson you can throw in there um, and I think part of the reason we haven't really went down that route is, is because obviously Klopp was so wedded to, to the likes of Henderson and the likes of Milner but I don't want to move too quick on this, but I, I, I have always kind of thought that like, although those lads offer really valuable intangibles, like leadership and, and all that, and the, the dressing room culture and stuff, I have always felt that like the, the bottom line is though, if you just sign a better player, you, you will be fine. You you, will, you really won't look back. You only ever miss the leaders <laughs> if you replace them with players who, who simply aren't as good. Um, and I think Soboslav is probably, I mean, to be fair, he's captain of Hungary, really like, but I assume he's not as much of a presence, yes, as Henderson and Belnauere no because he's just offering more value on the pitch. N- nobody nobody yeah. misses what came before.
0: The classic leaning by example is not someone who's going to be ranting and raving or even maybe g'ing up people or being loud in the dressing room. But when he runs, when he sprints back 40 yards to cover a a counter attack, makes a tackle, plays the ball forward and then sprints forward to get involved in our attack, those things stick. Because when you've got a guy who you know is going to do that, and like we were saying, he's doing it into the 92nd, 93rd minute, then you that's a guy you can trust. That's a guy you can believe in. And that builds bonds within the team. So that's how he probably became a leader in all of his clubs that he's been at. And I do think you're right. I do think that having someone who has the things that uh, the Milners and Hendersons were still doing well and bring something extra, you really notice a difference. And I'll throw the Harvey Elliotts and the Carvalhos in there as well, because we were trying to kind of use uh, the more smaller, creative, kind of low centre gravity, short passes. And we obviously have those two. You've got Diego Jotti, you've got McAllister. But the dynamism of a lie when you add that to the mix, you really do notice a difference. So I'm very pleased to see that we're going to have someone who has those qualities in amongst some of those smaller, more technical guys. Yeah, I think
1: dynamism is a good word for him, actually. He's, he's very dynamic as a player when he's on the ball and things like that. And Another interesting little quirk attached to his performance was he, he, he completed 67 of his 72 passes on the day so in addition to being like quite an attacking force for liverpool he only misplaced five passes um 93 percent pass completion which placed him behind only van dyke who's obviously a center half who's not he's not taking any risks whatsoever on the ball so yeah Sobush like you know creating um breaking lines and things like that with his passes while well also not losing the ball so offering lots and lots of value for liverpool and, on top of that as well, one, one thing that I found crazy, it, it, I think if you watch the game and obviously factor in the the fact that he, he lasted 90 minutes as well and he was one of the players who didn't get super suited in that, if, if you didn't know any of the players on that pitch, you really wouldn't have thought that of all the players who started for Liverpool, Sly was the youngest. That is quite incredible.
0: Yeah, it is. And again, I mean, maybe the fact that he was still running in the 95th minute might have been a bit of a giveaway, but I think <laughs> in terms of um, sometimes the um, players, it, particularly in difficult circumstances, as, as it was uh, after the red card, where there was a period when Liverpool did have to kind of fortify themselves. And we were talking before about bad memories from last season, we've seen those kind of situations turn badly and suddenly you're drawing a game you were winning comfortably. And in that moment, he was very much one of those who kind of stuck out his chest and said, No, we're still good enough to beat this team and we're about to show it. And again, like you were saying before, it's still early days, but those are the key indicators. I'm sure when you saw that kind of performance, there were people on the sub bench amongst the coaches nudging each other and saying, Yeah, this is what we wanted. This is exactly what we needed.
1: Well, in addition to like who obviously grabbed the headlines, Liverpool also had a debut on the day. It was with Wendu who come on um, in their second half towards the end of the game, I think after Liverpool just got a red card. Um, to be fair, there's, there's not much we can say about his performance because he weren't really on the pitch very long and Liverpool were down to 10 men and things like that. So, But despite that, what did you make of what we saw?
0: It was interesting for me because I think there were definitely parts of his game that, like I just said, was like, ah, yes, more of this, please. And we're going to look a much better team. (laughs) I particularly think about his first, I think it was really his first three minutes where he basically just stationed himself in and around the centre circle, made himself available for a pass. I think he received a pass of every single one of the defenders and his fellow midfielder in those three minutes he also ran forward, managed to disturb a counter-attack, pass simple, and then ran back into position. That bit was great. There was a little bit further on where he maybe got a little bit ahead of himself, started trying to break into the box and it's a bit like, ah, I mean, that's all right and we're good in that situation when we're on top of the game. But you want him to be like, no. like You want him to be scared of the D. Like, like literally get a nosebleed when he gets- it's that far. Literally, just stay in this area. We need you to be the guy that does that because no one else is. Um, And there were a couple of times where he was basically, like you said, with Zobuzai. Like If you'd looked at him and Zobuzai in maybe the 85th minute, you wouldn't have known who'd started the game and who'd come off the bench. Because I know that we've spoken a lot about Endo's running power, his intensity. He's probably going to take some getting used to how we do it. And It probably wasn't the best example of that in that first game. But adrenaline of your debut, the situation, the 10 men, all of these are mitigating circumstances. All of these are things that I think that when you get into the next game against a good Newcastle side with another good few days of training under his belt, because let's not forget, he'd had one day of training. One. (laughs) You probably need more than that. So... I yeah. think once we get into see him play at St. James's Park, and depending upon the fitness of Bicech, I believe he may well start that game. Um that's when you can really start to assess what he can do for this team. Analysing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel.
1: Yeah, I thought he 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 did a job for us essentially. Um very functional performance, I felt, and and the be- the beauty of it is we literally don't need anything else from him. He can no. come in and literally Klopp needs to just ram it home to him. Please don't try anything. He doesn't have to do anything because we've got so many of them already in the team. All he has to do is win the ball and pass it to the man who's next to him. That's all he has to do. Uh, and it will it will impact Liverpool's balance by a considerable amount. And it will make the team better. He doesn't need to justify his, his move he doesn't need to um you know prove that he's good enough in the premier league and like that he just needs to do a functional job i think if if um if chelsea signed him i think it'd be a problem because chelsea don't really have much of an attack to be honest in terms of winning the premier league at least so you're kind of looking around at the team and, and it looks a little bit broken and things like that whereas liverpool it's not broken, it's just unbalanced. And Liverpool have yeah. the firepower everywhere, weapons everywhere. We just don't have the lads who want to drift under the radar. And the, un- the unsung heroes, essentially. And uh, I think we saw from Mendo that he's just... Yeah. He, he was punched where he was walking, and I, I'm completely fine with that. He, he was just kind of a bit of a... Almost a bit of a passenger at times, just letting them play, focusing on, like, you know, I, I'll know when it's my time to come alive here. Yeah. And, and he as you say, he stayed predominantly in the middle third, which, again, is what we need. Um, I, I straight away as well, I don't know what you, but I, I picked up on his um, his leap pretty quickly. I can, You can yeah. see why he, uh, he he's good in the air, because he can definitely get off the ground.
0: Definitely. And like you say, something, it's got to be technique if you're winning that many duels at that height. And so, like you say, you really could see it. I think the irony of what we were saying before about him not, Having to kind of show himself and prove himself to be something by going out and going up the other end and getting a goal, which he does have a goal threat in him at uh, certain times. But ironically enough, normally when you come into a new team, particularly at this point, point, uh, it's all about oh goals, assists, what did you do, etc., uh, etc. Cetera, et cetera. The, the the kind of dog work that he's going to be needed to do isn't normally cherished, however in a situation that we're in, I think it will be. I think you'll find if people will be kind of rushing to show you tackles and interceptions a lot more than goals and assists. Like every tackle he makes is going to get cheered on the cop uh, rather than every shot. And I think you're right. That's just a, a real indication of where we are and what we're wanting to do. But he can be that guy if we get him into the system, I think. I think, if we again, if we're... Getting the best out of him, that means that we're putting the right people around him in the, in the same way he's one of the right people for some of our other players.
1: One concern that I do have is, you you touched on it before, his his kind of full debut, it looks like it's probably going to come against Newcastle United away from home. That is a baptism of fire. Um, I think they are, now that Leeds have gone down, I think they are probably the most physical team in the league in terms yeah. of running power and intensity and stuff like that and that it's a good age squad um it's a a feisty ground and things like that so for endo to come in and if you don't honestly that's a a tough game if he comes in and and performs to a decent level doesn't look like he's completely chasing shit because i think it could look like fabinho last season where he looked like he was constantly like Jason shadows and, and not getting anywhere near his man and yeah. he was just flying past them and that because Enzo en- Endo is 30 we did touch last week on the fact that he suffered a physical decline the past three seasons so I just hope that we he can get through the Newcastle game without being yeah without supporters being a bit like oh what, what have we what have we signed here
0: I think you're right um I think I would also add that Newcastle, uh, as long as one of the most physical teams, they're also one of the dirtiest teams. Like If you've seen what they were doing on the Ruben Diaz, particularly Anthony Gordon uh, on Saturday night, there were a lot of tackles that were very much on the edge of um, fairness and legality. And I think we'll absolutely be seeing that again from them when we come to town. Again, particularly when you're considering what happened last season. So that's something that we're going to have to be on our message for. But to be honest, and I'm being brutally honest here, if you're asking me, would I rather have Wataru Endo, a new guy to the league, but 30 years old in that position, or a 19-year-old Stefan Baisetich who's just coming back from a long injury, I'm going with Endo. I think you give Endo 65 minutes, you empty the tank, and then you bring on Baisetich a little bit later on. Because Newcastle, the other thing, you notice know, from the game against man city they are a, they have got the best stamina in the league they are the team that look like they've got the most energy in the last 10 15 minutes of the game that's been noticeable in the first two games and i think it'll be something that they will use consistency consistently this season to try and overpower teams late in the game so that's probably how i would manage the resources
1: yeah, I mean, to be fair to him, off the top of my head, played relatively well, didn't he, at St. James's Park last season. I think that kind of, um, the clip yeah. that went viral on social media where he faints and goes the other way from his man, I think that was at St. James's Park. Um, but I think I'd rather end out than anybody else. I think I agree with you. Um, another player who I think has, has come away from the first two games with that an kind of interesting narrative attached to him. Well, for me at least. I mean, to be honest, no, no, no one's really touching on it. But Cody Garpo has, has played as an eight twice now. Um to be fair to him, I, I have said he can do that. I, I do think he can do that in certain games and things. But one of the curious things about him so far is he is just he's he's playing the role like a forward because he is just not getting on the ball at all uh, compared to his teammates. Um, if you're playing as a, a number eight in midfield, you have to link the play. You have to connect. You have to be a passing option all the time. Gachpo has played um, about 65 minutes in both of Liverpool's games so far. And yeah. in both of the games, he's finished bottom of Liverpool's squad for completed passes. Um even beneath, like, Jota, who is the, the team's striker and, and isn't a possession-based player himself either. Um, and if you look at Gapos, um like, he completed 20 passes against Bournemouth in 62 minutes, completed 10 passes against Chelsea in mm-hmm. 65 minutes. And I think, if my maths is correct, I think that means, on a per 90 basis so far, I think he's averaging about twenty-two passes per ninety or something like that. Um, for a bit of perspective on that, Sobo Sly, so far in an identical role but on the right, is averaging about fifty passes per ninety yeah. last season. Curtis Jones was averaging fifty passes per ninety, so Gappo's way down on that, and, and and it's a bit um, it's definitely something. If I was a coach, if I was on the ground. I would be f- finding a way to kind of work on that. That that that, that needs to improve. If he's, if he's going to keep playing as an eight, he needs to balance that midfield more
0: than he is. Definitely. And there are so many different facets to why that's happened than how to fix it. But yeah, I'm just looking at the stats here. Like Jota, Jota had more touches in the game against Bournemouth than Gagpo did against Bournemouth and Chelsea combined, which is... While because, like you say, that is not something we normally expect from Jota, but the thing about the passing stats is, is that he's basically completed 20 passes, he's attempted 25 passes. Now, it sounds like a really obvious thing to say, but in order to pass the ball, you need to have the ball, and in order to have the ball, someone needs to pass it to you. So, you wonder how much of that is playing is looking for other players. How much of that is Gakpo not getting in the right positions to receive a pass, not demanding the pass enough? And then you think about the other things that Gakpo does on the field. So you think maybe if he's not passing enough, maybe he's doing a lot of dribbling, maybe he's carrying the balls. Two dribble attempts in the game. Admittedly, both successful. So I I probably need to watch it again and pay a little bit more attention to what he is actually doing. But if you're Klopp, then there is potential fixes there within like I say, his ability to find space, his teammates' ability to find him in that space, uh, and then his ability to recycle the ball and then look for another pass again and keep that intensity up. So there's a lot to unpack within there. Obviously, Klopp and his guys will be working on it. For me, I do think, like you, that he can eventually become an effective eight, but at the present moment, it does still feel like a little bit of a waste of his talents because all of his best moments... Where he picks the ball up deep, with um, his back to goal, turns and runs at the defence. He was doing that when he was playing number nine, and he probably would still do that if he's playing number nine. So, it's a difficult one for me. Is how long do you want to be doing this? Are you doing this simply because of circumstance elsewhere, or are you trying to train him into a new position? Because that's the other thing about this. This is like Gakpo's third new position since he joined. <laughs> he's not been there very long. So you are yeah. giving him a lot of work to do. Yeah, I know. I think I
1: think generally as well, he he will always predominantly be a positive contributor. And I'm, I'm not really, yeah. you know, I've got no issues with Gapo playing. I, I'm a big fan of him. I think he's he, he's he he's only going to improve. And the fact that he's a carrier over large distances is, is a, a nice thing. He's good in transition. He is very athletic and things like that. I think once he gets into a stride, you know, people aren't catching him. To be honest, when, when he gets into a stride and starts carrying the ball, he, I'm not sure if I've said this before on this show, but he, he reminds me a little bit of Kaka. You know when Kaka used to used to yeah. pick up the ball and carry it and he'd just go, mate, and you, you were finished? He's not far off that. But in terms of playing as an eighth, I think it's more of a personal problem rather than his teammates not finding him personally. I I think, because uh, say, for example, against Chelsea, Curtis Jones comes on on his place and completes five more passes. Than Garpo in 25 minutes. Then Garpo completed in 65 minutes. Um, as I said, Sombusla is playing on the opposite side, similar-ish position, really similar spaces, kind of. Uh, and he's completing like double the amount of passes on a pair ninety basis. So I, I think it's, I don't know. It, I think it's something that he he, he has to work on. Because no? it's a, a couple of years back, mm-hmm. we had this, we had a similar issue with Wijnaldum. Actually, um, if you look at like old school passing networks. From like Liverpool 2016, 2017, 2018, Wynaldum's like a real passenger almost in, in Liverpool's passing network. He just, he just weren't really getting involved too much. And maybe there's kind of some kind of in, inside thing where that's almost the plan. I don't, I don't really know. Um, but looking at Liverpool's balance, I feel like, for example, it's Sutton Guardiola would not like no. for Liverpool to have like a bit of a. A bit of a black hole in the middle of the passing network a, a bit of a, a bit of like a, a a dead weight and a negative that's just not even there like it's like having 10 men almost sometimes if, if the play is not you know off himself or whatever so it's one to keep an eye on very very early days but straight away it stands out as a bit of a weird quirk that he maybe has to improve if he's going to yeah. keep playing that's the crucial thing that if he's going to keep playing there you know it's it's something that needs to improve especially if you know, I keep touching on control. Liverpool controlling games. It's going to be difficult to control games if that if that's happening, and that's why, if I'm honest, I'd rather Gakpo play as part of the front three, and those two eights. I would like them eights to be midfielders first rather than forwards. Just see what I mean.
0: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think for me, going forward, the best time to have Gakpo as a midfielder is if we are chasing a goal or if it's a game where we're at home and we're expected to absolutely dominate, not just win, but absolutely dominate. I think until that point, yeah, it does become a point where you are kind of, not, like I said before, you're not using him to his best of his abilities. And you can still get the good things he's doing when he's playing up front. I think we will eventually start to see that. The thing about Wijnaldum, It's very interesting, though, because the fact that it's happened once before makes you wonder whether or not it is some kind of plan. But then what would that plan be? I mean, would the plan, would he just be like a perpetual decoy? Because obviously, if he's making himself an option for a pass, defenders are still having to go towards him. So he's like just the decoy all the time. But then if that was the case, then teams would start to work it out, as we saw with Jordan Henderson last season. So, yeah, I'm not sure what that would be.
1: Yeah, well, I had a bit of a theory at the time with Wayne Alden that maybe it was a case of like he was so concerned about what would happen if we lost the ball that that was his primary focus, just kind of occupying the right defensive space. If Liverpool were to lose possession, he would be positioned in the right position to regain the ball immediately or provide cover or whatever. And he was more focused on that than actually offer himself as a passing option. Um but it, it, it definitely was a yeah. curious thing and it's it's something that Wine Album also did for the national team as well. Like it, it Wine album has passed if it, you probably search on Twitter now, Wine Album um passing network or something like that, you, you will see the evidence of like years gone by where he just for whatever reason just got on the ball considerably less in comparison to like yeah, like I've got an example here, like so this is this is a very, very quick example that I've just Got up on the fly but th- this was 2019-20 which is when liverpool won the league mm. in the premier league yep. and wijnaldum averaged about 46 passes per 90. um henderson for example on as the others as the other eight um 64 passes per 90. so mm. that's about 20 more um and wijnaldum Again, for a bit more perspective on that, C- Sheridan Shakiri was averaging about forty-three passes per ninety. When on forty-six, so you know the and minutes
0: made were probably massively disparaging
1: Yeah, yeah. So it was it was a bit like when was interpreting the central midfield role, like he was still kind of a forward almost, and the feels a bit like that's what Gapo's doing. But it's one to keep an eye on anyway. Um, yeah. One final point that I'll. That, that yeah. I want to touch you on regarding the uh,
0: go on. I was just going to say regarding that balance, what you said before, that really is the key thing, isn't it? Because, um, yeah. if you are planning for one guy to be more dominant, you're obviously when we were playing with Thiago, the plan was for him to be making more passes than the other midfielders, but if it's unbalanced then that means that you're making your opponent's game plan a lot easier because they don't really have to factor you into the network. Like, say, you can almost leave them open to just be there hanging around, not doing anything. So I think if you want to make yourselves hard to play against, which is always should be the goal, then there has to be a way to get Gakpo more involved, I think. Yeah. I think
1: one final point that I want to touch on so far, obviously two games into the season. Uh, Darwin Nunes hasn't started the game yet. Um, Are you surprised? No,
0: (laughs) I'm not. I I think, you know, know, I know it sounds harsh the the way I said it. I didn't quite intend it that way. Um, (laughs) Obviously, he scored lots of goals in pre-season. And coming into the season, we were talking about whether or not he'll be able to build on some momentum. I do think that at the moment, the good things that he brings to the game still aren't outweighing the issues that Klopp obviously has with the way he's playing the position. So he's just in a situation where he's got to earn his minutes and he earns his minutes on the training pitch. And he's obviously not got there yet. I think if I was him, I'd be a little bit more disappointed, not only not starting, but the fact, what was it? He came on? with the 85th minute. He came on eighty sixth minute. He came on. Yeah. So that means that if you're telling me I'm not starting, that's fine. If you tell me I need to do more things, that's fine. What you need to give me is time in the game to show you that I've improved those things. So giving him a 20-minute cameo is a massive difference to giving him a five-minute cameo, even with all their injury time. So that's if I'm him where I'm a little bit frustrated slash disappointed. But it's still early. There's still only been two games. And dare I say it, the injury record of for Liverpool's forwards dictates that he probably will get started eventually. But another thing about that <laughs> um, I do think that obviously you have to look at Luis Diaz as well and think that his play his influence in that left to central channel has also been what's keeping the um, Nunes on the bench Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel
1: Yeah, I have I um... have definite thoughts on this i i have i have real thoughts on this one because i i think he's a really interesting player And I, if i'm honest ahead of the season i did think he would start against bournemouth i thought that one would be earmarked for him to play um but he only ended up playing like five minutes or so i think he would have come on earlier if liverpool hadn't had a man center off to be fair um but yep, even right. still i expected him to start um this week I recorded a video with Redman TV on YouTube. If you want to go and watch that, for, for that is a twenty-minute video on my thoughts. <laughs> um but I think the the crux of it is basically, I don't think Liverpool are in a position yet where we control the game enough to accommodate a player like him. I think Nunes is nuts, yep. and he can he, he can he's he's that crazy. Like can uh, have a negative impact on you if you can't manage him. Um it's, it's like kind of, <laughs> I don't know, I was going to come up with like a mad little analogy there. It's it's like kind of having like a, a chaotic home as it is <laughs> and adopting like an absolutely crazy pet, like a crocodile for a pet or something like that, or a chimpanzee or something, and, and expecting to be able to look after that pet. So I think Liverpool are trying to get their own house in order, more control over the game, um, yeah. stemming from the likes of like, you know, getting endo in hopefully getting Gakpo on the ball a bit more, um, maybe getting the Robertson thing a little bit fixed and the transition stuff a little bit fixed with canate And I think when, when Liverpool have enough control over the game, I think the next step will be, right, we integrate Nunes, this is the next level. Because I mm. think Nunes is uh, capable, if you let him do exactly what he's good at, he's capable of being an absolute menace, I think. But... He he really needs the the platform to do that. And Liverpool, as I've just said, you know, you know, thirty five percent possession against uh, Chelsea, n- not enough, uh, not good enough. And against Man. Bournemouth, still a little bit basketball at times. If you introduce Nunes into that, that the thing's going to explode. You know, it's going to be nuts. So, yeah, that's that. That's I think that's the plan anyway. That's what I'm getting at.
0: Yeah, and I think there's lots of things that can contribute to that plan working or not working. One of them is the patience and understanding of Nunes. Another one is the patience and understanding of us as fans and maybe some of the more uh, extreme areas of the media who might want to make a story out of Liverpool's massive signing being on the bench all the time. And frankly, the thing that will help both of those two things is Liverpool continue to win football games. Because that yeah. would buy everybody time. If the if you're complaining and saying, I want to be in, I want to be in, but it's like, well, the team's winning. You're going to have to wait for your chance. It's harder to make that argument. Everyone was hold their hands up and say, okay, we're moving in the right direction. This has to be the right plan. So all of those things really need to be in place. In terms of your analogy, the way I see it, Nunes is a bit like a Rottweiler. Like, put a Rottweiler <laughs> in the room against someone... <laughs> And someone's going to get hurt.
1: Yeah, it's it's a good
0: example.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I think um, he, he, he's an interesting player. He really is. I, I think he he can he can transform Liverpool's game. I think he can take us to a level where we are really really dangerous. But uh, as I said, he just kind of needs to be accommodated. And if it was me. And I am not Jurgen Klopp. You know, people are going to say, on the back of this, like, you know, why aren't you a manager then type thing? But if it was me looking at just a basic analysis of Liverpool at the minute, I think if it was me, I would say to Robertson, overlap a little bit less. I would say to Trent, try a little bit less in terms of killer balls. and uh, I would start Endo as an actual six and I would play McAllister where Gapau has been playing. And I think just by making those subtle tweaks, Liverpool would get a lot more control over the game. And if you establish that, you can then integrate the Chaos Merchants and let him cause problems for them rather than us.
0: I think that a game like St James's Park away will kind of focus the mind. And we do normally kind of raise our level of intensity and play for these kind of games. So I'm hopeful that can be the case. But genuinely, I would go with exactly what you said. And I don't think it's going to make too much of a difference. I mean, well, no, I don't think it'll be too hard of an adaptation for the players because I was kind of looking at the um, average positions for the Bournemouth game. And I was kind of fascinated to see that a lot of talk has been of obviously the three box three and Trent moving here and there. If you look at it, if you take Trent out of the equation, that's basically a diamond. They literally are in the diamond with McAllister at the base, Jota at the spear, Zobuzai and Gakpo either side, and then Salah and Diaz essentially playing as a front two. The only anomaly in it is Trent is literally alongside Zobuzai. He is like far advanced to the rest of his defenders. So if he was maybe 10 yards back on his average position, that would be a 4-4-2 diamond. And you wonder whether or not in possession at least, that's the plan. Or whether or not this was just um, under pressure of the early start, they kind of reverted back to some of the things that they're used to in terms of where they want to be on the pitch. But I think if you're going up against a team like Newcastle who are going to have, like we've said before, physical runners, they are going to have speed on the counter-attack and they do have a good few more technical players in midfield now. I do think having the diamond, having that kind of depth of your midfielder to be able to have a front line go out and press and try and win the ball, but still have players in behind in position if that doesn't go right. I think that's something that I would like to see us do.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. It's it's, it's a big game, to be honest. It's a tricky game as well. Liverpool have I've definitely had a, um, a, a weird start so far. It's four points out of six, which is fine um still haven't lost which which it's, it's a decent start considering there's lots of teeth and problems still going on we've just got a six in and he's 30 um, and none of us have heard of him <laughs> so it's we're doing okay but if, if we if we get hammered here or something like that then it's not going to look great going into the net, international break and it's going to be panic going into the deadline day and that. So i hope we can get through it. it's not going to be an easy game but just just before we kind of finish mm-hmm. uh i suppose just a quick um assessments of the landscape when it comes to transfers and stuff like that still no real major links some links to the core some chat that andre could get knocked out of the copper libertadores before the deadline shots which would be an insane one um who else has been linked calvin phillips has been linked um anybody else you can think of (laughs)
0: Um not real concrete links, just lots of fantasy stuff because we we haven't really been closing in on someone, but then when you think about it, the guys who we spend weeks closing in on normally end up signing elsewhere. So it's it's Does that be, weird fair, situation like, the links that's been up there. Yeah. It's one of those situations where you'd probably feel more comfortable and feel better about things if you did feel like there was someone who was close. But then you have to factor in the fact that Liverpool, at their best, have been the ones where they just pull someone out that you don't know about. So no news isn't necessarily bad news in that context. However, news always makes us feel a little bit more uh, comfortable. I do think Liverpool, while they might kind of put feelers out here and there, when it comes to actually the brass tacks and negotiating submitting bids and going back and forth with the same club they kind of only try to do that one at a time it's not like chelsea who will be involved with putting bids in for that player and that player and that player at the same time we can try and tend to do one and then we will move on to the next one and that's my concern because the idea that we'll be able to do two and i do think that two at least would make me feel comfortable one in midfield and one in defense the fact that the idea that we could do those two now is decreasing with every day. And that's where my concern lies. So if you was to look at the window now as a whole,
1: incomings and outgoings, if Liverpool stays they are, what would be your raising for the window?
0: Hmm. Difficult. As we sit here right now, I'd have to say a seven, because okay. I do think we've brought in two fantastic players, but I do think that we could also be sitting here and going into the January window desperate to buy players immediately because we've left ourselves short and something bad's happened. Now, obviously the caveat is, is that something bad would have to happen, i.e. an injury, but the fact of the matter is, injuries are a very large part of football. So we can't say, oh, just because it's a hypothetical, we can dismiss it because hypotheticals happen all the time. Look at everyone else. Look at Chelsea. They've already had two of the players that Cyan got down injured. Man uh, City have lost De Bruyne. Um, uh, Arsenal have lost Julian Timber. Injuries happen at this stage of the season. And can really disrupt how you look at your start. So you, the, the instinct is you want to be fortified for as many different things to go wrong. And it always just feels like Liverpool, and particular, the decision makers, don't quite have that same philosophy as some of us fans do.
1: Yeah, I think for me, I'm, I am probably similar to you in, in terms of sitting probably around the seven, maybe. Um, I think in terms of outgoings, it's virtually spot on. I'm happy with the players that we've let leave. Got a lot of wages off the books. 40 million for Fabinho. Um you know, I think the outgoings are spot on. In terms of the incomings, McAllister perfect. Uh Sub-Sly, perfect. Endo um okay if depending on what else happens, really. Um and if I think if we go with just them, it's another classic case for me of Liverpool leaving themselves short um mm-hmm. so I, I I would like before the end of the window for Liverpool I'd like just to get two players but I can only I can only see one if mon at a push and it but if we can before the end of the window get someone in for the middle third who wants to stay behind the ball uh, do some of the defensive work um like at the Coric like, like an Andre as well, potentially very different player in terms of what he does on the pitch. But if we could get one of them two before the end of the window, then I think I would be a bit like, okay, let's let's see how we get on. But uh, as it stands right now, yeah, it, it, it is looking a bit quiet. and uh, I don't know, it's slightly concerning. I think with, with, with the back line, I, I would like a left foot and centre half. I can't really see that one happening, to be honest. But I would because of the players in the in the back I would I would just kind of I would be willing to just go go again with the back four and just kind of see how we get on almost if we have to I think the priority mm-hmm. for me probably still has to be another body in the midfield for me like I mean don't get me wrong I'd like to do a defensive addition but I'm 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 talking more yeah. in the same, is this realistic with with a week left
0: It's funny I think For me, it's slightly flipped. I think if you told me that we would agree the deal for Andre now, but we wouldn't get into January, I would be happy for us to then concentrate on getting a defender. Because I think if you're saying that the options we've got are going to be our options until for the first three months of the season, and then they're going to increase, I think it's a very different conversation than saying, oh, we think that this will be good enough Forever, it's, we know it's not good enough. Forever, but we'll get us to this point. And what will help get us to this point would be fortifying defense. I'd live. I'd be able to live with that. I still would complain. Don't get me wrong, but I'd be able to live with that. I think as a strategy. <laughs> do, you, do you know
1: what I found funny? Actually, by the way, there's a an article in Athletic this week saying uh, after Fabinho left, something like Liverpool's data department passed over three names or something like that for the for the void. And the three names apparently were Casado, Lavia and Kamara, who's at Villa. And obviously we're also linked with de Corea Palace. And what I think kind of sums up Liverpool's risk approach to the transfer market sometimes is, out of them four players, right, three of them literally moved last summer. <laughs> Kamara went to Villa on a three-transfer, mate for nothing transfer fee-wise. Uh Sheik de yeah. only went for 18 million to Palace. And Lavia, I mean, we probably couldn't have got Lavia from City anyway, but he only cost about 14 million. But And we needed midfielders at the time. We just missed out on Siwameni, but we just decided to, for whatever reason, stand still. And now we want these players for like 50 million plus, whatever it's going to be. It's, it's frustrating, to say the least.
0: It is. This is what happens when you wait until it's absolutely the last moment to reinforce your team though because one, you'll end up letting other opportunities pass you by and two, people become aware of your desperation so even without their good play somewhere else, the price goes up. So, we were very much of the opinion that we didn't absolutely need a midfielder last summer, even though that was clearly proven wrong, but if you buy a player when you don't Absolutely, really need them. Then you can maybe mitigate some of that risk and some of that uh, transfer fee. It's just a way of operating that I think that they're never really going to buy into. I think there's always going to be a compromise between what they want to do and maybe some of the more short-term aims of the side.
1: Yeah, I think generally, I'm not, I'm not even that against the whole concept of waiting and being, you know, extra careful and, and giving it time and things like that. But to an extent. Do you know what I mean? It feels like over the past couple of seasons, we've taken that to the extreme, to the extent where we've done an entire midfield rebuild in one summer because we waited too long. So it's definitely something to learn from moving forward. Like, But we'll round up there anyway. So, Mo, thanks for joining
0: us, mate. No problem. No problem. Thanks for having me, as always.
1: And thanks to everyone for tuning in. And we will see you next week.
0: To the Analyzing Anfield Podcast on the Blood Red Channel.